We're turning to Psalm 85, please. I want you to open your Bibles at Psalm 85. And give heed to the Word of God and let us read some of these verses. We'll be reading down to verse 7. This is one of the Psalms that was recorded after the Babylonian captivity. Uh, the children of Israel are just back from 70 years. Uh, of course, many of them didn't come back. They got accustomed to the Babylonian system and they stayed there. But as always, a remnant came back and they've come back to find the temple down and the place in ruins and uh, there's a lot of work to do. But here the psalmist here uh, begins by praising and thanking the Lord. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land, and notice that is his land, and that's very important in these days. Thy land, thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Now we're speaking here about what has happened in the past. Thou hast been favorable and brought back the captivity of Jacob. He's expressing his thankfulness for God's favor. And that word favor is the same word as the word grace. And he's thanking God for his grace and his favor of uh, bringing his people out of captivity. Has he not taken us this morning out of a greater captivity? Has he not released us this morning from the snares and the chains of sin and death? Should we not be able to sing, should we not praise him this morning and sing, I am redeemed, O praise the Lord, redeemed from sin set free. Let us give praise this morning for the favor of God shown on sinners such as we. And then he goes on in the second verse, he, he doesn't only thank God for favor, but he thanks God for forgiveness. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Uh, you see, we are forgiven people this morning, the saints of God. Again, should we not be thankful that our sins are forgiven, that we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. But if you watch on to the next verse, uh, not only does he, does he, in verse 2 again, not only does he give thanks for uh, the favor of God and the forgiveness of God, but God forgetting. You see this word here, thou hast covered all their sins. That word cover means to completely conceal out of mind. Uh, our sins are cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness, completely covered 
out of his mind and out of his memory. I tell you, my friend, is it any wonder it puts the wee phrase in there, Selah, at the end of verse 2. Think about that. Think about the favor of God. Think about the forgiveness of God. Think about God has forgotten all our past sins. They're all under the blood and in the sea of his forgetfulness. And so we're at verse 3. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. So keep your Bible open, please, at this psalm. Last Lord's Day morning, those of you who gathered here will know that I entitled my message, I'll If I didn't say from the pulpit, I did immediately after it. I entitled my message, The Price of Revival. The Price of Revival. Before the famine and the drought of three years lifted from Israel in 2 Kings 21, seven sons of Saul had to be hanged upon a tree in the hillside in Gibeah as an atonement and an appeasement for Saul, 40 years before this incident, slew almost all the Gibeonites who God had made a covenant and God had made a league with. Uh, 300 years before that, the league was made in Joshua chapter 9 that none of the Gibeonites were to be touched. Their covenant of God was on. And they ran on down through the years as hewers of wood and drawers of water engrafted into the people of Israel until Saul decided to consume them in his wrath and to wipe them out. And, and God didn't do anything for 40 years. And then uh, there came a famine on the land. And that famine lasted for three years. Everything was dying. And David sought the Lord, Lord, what's wrong? Lord, why has this come upon us? And God said, it's because of what Saul done 40 years ago. Remember, my friend, God judges nations. And God judges individuals. And we may think we get away with our sin today and tomorrow and next week and next year and last year, but God catches up with us. And he caught up with them. And the seven sons, not all sons, but seven sons and grandsons, were hanged on a tree, each man on a tree, on a hillside in Gibeah, and they stayed there until the drops came. They stayed there until they died and there was nothing, only bones and the, and, the, and the heavens opened and the rain came with the barley harvest and the blessing came upon the land. And there had to be true genuine repentance and there had to be an appeasement for the wrath of God and intercessory prayer by David and then the blessing come. And that, that is revival, my friend. Revival is pricey. It's very pricey. It just doesn't come easy to us. But I want to go on this morning and I want to speak to you about revival and its problem. Revival and its problem. 
And we could ask ourselves this morning, what is the problem? What is the problem in our church and in our land that we're not enjoying a a, a season of blessing or seasons of blessing? Why are we not seeing moves of the Spirit as, as they did in generations gone past, even in my lifetime? Why are we seeing such death and, and such heaviness upon our people? In other words, why does revival tarry in, in this Western Hemisphere? Why is it almost a hundred years since the last known revival in England? In 1922, in East Anglia, when the Baptist uh, preacher from London, uh, when David Brown went down there to preach, and God broke out, and Jock Troop joined him, and thousands were swept into the kingdom. That's the last known revival in England. Why is it 70 years since there was a move in Scotland, and then that was on the Outer Hebrides Islands? Why is it that this generation that we are in this morning, has never known anything, and if you take a generation for 70 years, we have never known anything of the Spirit of God moving. And many of the people have not even seen God moving in evangelism, never mind revival. So there's something has to be wrong. Why is it when this book here is charged with historical revivals, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Why is it that all the promises that God has given us uh, for revival, why is nothing happening? God wouldn't tell us to pray for something if he didn't intend to give it to us. So there's something has to be wrong. And so I have chosen this psalm in many places I could have chosen this morning, but I have chosen this Psalm 85 because I believe it will enlighten us to one of the greatest reasons why we're not enjoying times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. And I want you to, get, to, 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 to gaze at the verse 3 and verse 4, the end of verse 3 and verse 4 and into verse 5 of this text this morning. And uh, the answer here is that God is angry. If you notice there, four times, uh, four times before the psalmist prays this mighty prayer for revival. And this is a great prayer in verse 6, and, and, and I'm sure most of you know it and maybe have prayed it. But before he prays this great prayer in revival, he mentions the anger of God uh, so many times. Look at, look, look at how many times he mentions it. Now, end of verse 3, the fierceness of his anger. In verse 4, thine anger. Verse 5, wilt thou be angry forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger? Again, in, 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 in verse 5. We, must, we mustn't lift this text out of its context on revival. And so often we lift texts out of our context. We can't take verse 6 out of its context. We must put it into the context of the whole psalm. So you have to see here in this psalm, many times he talks about the anger of God. And we can pray and we can cry and call on the Lord to revival as much as we like, and we can say, do it again. But a God that is displeased, and a God that is angry, 
cannot and will not visit his people. You see, that word anger comes from the word breath. It actually means breathing out his wrath, his fierce wrath. And if the Lord doesn't turn away, my friend, his anger, we're going to be visited very soon, I believe, with the fierceness of his anger. Until a measure the anger of God is upon the church. There's no other answer for the situation, and we all have to bear responsibility to it. It will not be very long until the fierceness of his wrath comes upon us and will come upon our nation and will come upon our province and our people. There's a black cloud hanging over us this morning, whether we admit it or whether we don't admit it. And that teacher in Dalriada School down in Ballymoney put up on the notice board a dark day for Northern Ireland with this abortion act. She was made taken down and shamed and made say sorry. And the children wrote the graffiti over it of uh, gays and lesbian graffiti over it. And we are in the dark day. And I say this to you this morning from a heart that is burdened. If the breath and the rook of the wind of the Holy Spirit doesn't soon shake the leaves on the mulberry trees, I for one don't want to be here. I, for one, don't want to be here. People say, have a good time. People say, enjoy your hobbies. People say, retire and go on a cruise. Play golf. Write a book. Go on a sabbatical. I'm hearing more about sabbaticals. Go up to the Andes there and watch the elephants for six months and let the church pay for it. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, let me tell you, it'll not be the books that we have written, it'll be what is written in the books about us. It'll not be where we have cruised to or what our hobbies were or how much money we made or what charities we sponsored or how we were on the board of governors or what we did. What have we done with the word? What have we done with the gift? What have we done with our ties? What have we done with our talents? That's what we will give an account for. How many of us this morning and pastors and ministers, including myself, how many of us are grieved with the affliction of Joseph? How can we settle on our lees? How can we be these in Zion? When the province languishes in some of the darkest days, if not the darkest days morally of our history. When the church has become so tepid and so cold and so lukewarm and so barren that our people doesn't want to pray. When, when we make the Lord sick, he says these last days, these, these, these days of Laodicean are the days that we're in. He says, we're, 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 we're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. We're miserable, wretched, poor, blind and naked. I will spew you out of my mouth. Well, I for one don't want to make the Lord sick. Let me say a few things about the hot displeasure and wrath of God before we go on to bring a bit of joy into the meeting at the end. What are some of the things that draws out the wrath and the fierceness of the wrath of God? Well, first of all, let me say, there's his wrath towards sinners. 
And if you're not saved in this meeting this morning, now you take heed. There's his wrath towards sinners. You know the Bible says that he's angry with the wicked every day. Not only is that peppered through the word of God, but Jesus himself said it. Now I'm sure you all know John 3 and 16 and our brother um, Stuart there gave a lovely wee rendering at the table the other week. John 3 and 16. And many of us know John 3 and 36. Listen to what John 3 and 36. Listen to what Jesus says. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Oh, sinner, this morning, here or wherever you are, listen to me. The breath and the anger and the fierce wrath of God is upon you this morning. Paul in Romans chapter 9 says, We're vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. And the great day of his wrath is coming. Think of those in that container over in England. The text and the hammered and the beat to get out. But at least there came a moment when they physically died. Where they went after that's not my business, I don't know. But they physically tried to get out. But there came a moment when they died and there was no fire. My dear friend, this morning, let me say to you this. There's the eternal flames that will never go out. And the wrath of God that bideth on you this morning, surrounds you this morning, encompasses you about this morning, and has been from the day that you were born, because by nature we're the children of wrath. God has not appointed us to wrath. Being now justified through his blood, we can be saved from the wrath to come. Oh, sinners this morning. Free from the wrath to come. Because God's angry. And that's why he provided Calvary. Flee to him who will save you this morning. But his anger and wrath is not only on sinners. It's on slanders. David says, I heard the slander of many. In Numbers 12 and verse 1, don't turn to it, you'll read this. You'll read about Miriam and her brother Aaron slandering their brother Moses and Moses' wife, who was a colored Cushite, a colored woman. And Aaron and Miriam made a bid for power. To, to, to shift to Moses and to get into power. And the slandered. Can I say to you this morning, there's more churches being split with slander, more pastors being destroyed by slander, more backslidden children in, in pastors' homes by slander. But here's what it says. And the Lord heard it. Now I hope now you didn't spend any time, not one minute last week, slandering any saint of God or anybody else for that matter. It's a very, very dangerous thing. And it brings down 
the wrath of God because it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and God struck Miriam with leprosy. She whistled up with leprosy. And only Moses prayed for God to heal her. That would be the end of it. So you be very careful now with your tongue. Be very careful touching the Lord's anointed. Because you can't do that. Be very careful. So God is angry with sinners and he's angry with slanders. And let me say this, and I can't miss this with all that's going on. He's angry with the, with the Sodomites. I'm quite aware as I preach here on this pulpit that this is going out. We're living in a day of sexual, they say sexual revolution, but it's sexual revulsion. The laws that have been passed for our for same-sex marriage in our province, imposed upon us by a parliament which is laced with lesbian and gays. And the law that has been passed upon us in the past week is the most heinous law, and how it slipped in past every one of us, the devil deceived everyone. In this land of prayer, in this land of missionaries, is now basking in filth. Two women in that club in Belfast the next day, I saw them on the news. Do you know what they said? They said, we're glad now that we can get married because we don't feel it's right to live together. How blind and how dark can you get? Or where is our land going to? And let me say this, 31 Presbyterian ministers and members signed a letter in the Belfast Telegraph on Wednesday supporting a minister who married a man in Dublin and they give the blessing to them. Don't be political. That's not political. We're living in a day of darkness and there's a dark cloud over us. And we need men and women to stand God is angry. Here's what it says in Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, the wickedness and the vileness of men, women with women, men with men. God give them up and then he give them over. God's angry. And you'll never get an angry God to pour out blessings. There has to be an appeasement, there has to be an atonement, there has to be brokenness, there has to be a price somewhere to deal with this problem. But I'm going on down into something more serious that God laid in my heart. Because he's not only angry with the sinner and the slander and the sodomite, he's angry with the sacrifices. Listen to Second Kings 17, 17, don't turn to it. In the second King 17, Israel has backslidden so far that they've rejected Jehovah altogether. They've worshipped uh, calves at the altar of Baal and the whole land has, gone in, land has gone over into idolatry. And in verse 17 it says this, And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire 
and God was angry. They offered infant sacrifices to the devil. And last Monday, as well as the abominable act of sodomy and self-same marriages, legislation was brought in to murder. And let me tell you, the legislation that has been brought in to our province is worse than England, Scotland, Wales, and many parts of Europe. To murder helpless and harmless babies in the womb, 200,000 last year. 98% of them with no physical ailments. John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb when he was 22, 23, 23 weeks. Law has been passed here now that they can murder them at 25 weeks. It says, therefore, the Lord was very angry. I tell you, my friend, the Lord's very angry. Great incinerators across Britain billows out the smoke of the bones and the burning bodies of wee infants. And the Daily Telegraph some time ago had a column in it. In fact, it was on the front or second page of the column in it that the incinerators that were burning the bodies of the 200,000 in one year, that were burning the bodies of them, they, they were generating the heat to heat the hospital. Do you think God's going to put up with this? Do you not think that he's vexed and he's angry? And I tell you, I see nothing wrong in going to a parade in Belfast and standing and protesting outside Stormont or anywhere else. And I don't care if there's a Catholic priest standing beside me or not. But it seems to me that there's more in them and the Muslims than in the Christians. Oh, no, you can't go there. Rome's there. Pity. We're not worshipping with them. We're not meeting with them. We're not praying with them. We're taking a stand. And don't criticize those who did. We children, 25 weeks, Claire showed me on the phone. One day, one, 24 weeks or something in the womb, you see the wee thing, my Jumping, pulling, talking, or jumping, pulling, moving about. Suffocate them, incinerate them, terminate them, but don't slap them. And I out over Roseland Sanitary very soon. You'll see the smoke. You'll see the smoke. And we couldn't care but with the prayer meeting last night there was nine in it. But I tell you, friend, the day is coming when God will put you to prayer. He'll put us to prayer. 
We'll be talking over ourselves to get to pray. And the devil gets a hold of our children and our family. And a wee man came in this morning. He says, I got saved. And he showed me his wee Bible. I wouldn't want to be five again. I wouldn't want to be 50 again. And unless God moves. You'll see the smoke shoot. The wee children. While we sleep. In that storm that Jonah was in. The old mariners prayed every man to his God. And Jonah was asleep. Muslims will not send their children to school in England because they teach them this nonsense. These lies. Deceiving the wee ones. God is angry with sinners. He's God is angry with slanders. He's angry with sodomites. He's angry with the sacrifices of the infants. On the altar of political expediency. We're not going to get away with it. If I know anything about this book and I know anything about this God and I know anything about his love and his mercy and his grace, I know something to you about his retribution. I ask God every day when I pray, I said, Lord, whatever makes you angry, make me angry. If I make you angry, Lord, show me. Whatever vexes your heart and vexes your soul, whatever hides your face from us in Ulster, show me. We have hundreds of, we have hundreds of pastors and ministers this morning retired at 65 playing golf and going on cruises. Their land going to hell. This is all doom and gloom and it's not what this psalm is about. But I can tell you that the psalmist had to hit these things before he hit verse 6. Look at verse 4 as we come to a close. Here's the first thing he says. Turn us. Turn us. That word turn is the word repent. But it not only means repentance of heart. It means turn our eyes onto the Lord. And that's what I want you to do this morning. We must get our eyes onto the Lord. Turn our eyes onto Jesus. Turn our eyes onto the Lord. Turn our eyes. Turn us, Lord. Thou hast been favorable to us in years and days come past. Thou hast taken us out of bondage. Thou hast forgiven our sin. Thou hast blessed us in times of crisis before. Turn our eyes unto thee, Lord, and hold on unto wait, Lord. You've done it before. You've blessed us before. You forgive us before. 
You cleansed us before. You were favorable unto us. You brought us out of captivity. You kept your word, the word that Jeremiah gave that would come out in 70 years. You kept the word that Daniel prayed and said you'd bring us back. You kept it. You've been favorable to us. You've forgiven us. You've blessed us. You've cast our sins away. You've carried them away. Lord, do it again. That's what they're praying here. Turn us. Then look at verse 6. Now look at verse 6. Now it makes sense. Revive us again. Wilt thou not revive us again? Put a wee ring round that wee word again. Oh, why, there was revival in Hezekiah's day. There was revival in Josiah's day. There was revival in Elijah's day. Again, we were praying that in here last night. Lord, do again, again what you did in Campus Lang. Do again what you did in Shots. Do again what you did in Kilsyth in Scotland. Do again what you did amongst the Moravians, the Aborigines and the Zulus. Do again what you did in Kales. Do again what you did in Wales. That's pleading. That's praying. Some morning we'll get on to this. That's pleading. That's praying for revival. Do it again, Lord. How can you say again if you didn't, if you didn't know what happened before? We know what happened before. We have all the history of revival. If we hadn't go out of this book, we have it all. That our God is able. He's able to do what he done in 1904 in Wales or Kells. Oh, we have to go back to Wales and Kells. It's awful. The lowest after the Hydro Hebrides. We can't go back to one hour. In this generation of ours, where God's Spirit was poured out. So see, see now as we come to a close. See what he said? Turn us. There has to be repentance, there has to be a turning. And then he prays, revive us. Uh, But then in verse 7, he prays this. Show us. Show us. That word show means let us see something, Lord. Let us see something. I'm sure most of you know Jeremiah 3 and 33. Jeremiah 33 and 33, that great prayer. Call unto me. Call unto me. And I will answer thee. And show you. Show you. I want to see something. I want to see signs. I'll not be that long here, but I want to see signs. I want to see the drops. 
I want to see what we have prayed for down through the years and cried for and wept for and fasted for and waited for, for our land, for our province, for our church, for our people. Lord, show us. Show us a token of good, Lord, soon. And with all the darkness and with all the blackness and all the immorality and all the plight upon us in the past, we give our dear land. The worse it gets, maybe the sooner we'll come to blessing. Maybe he has to bring us down little for the yet, for the yet, for the yet. We're not getting away with it. Oh, may we cry, turn us, revive us, show us something from your mighty Omnipotent hand, show us drops of mercy. Show us, let the rain come and the floods come on this dry and barren land. And I'll tell you, Brexit and Boris and the whole crowd of them, they'll never do it. Sweep away, Lord, all the injustices and the iniquity and honor thy people the people of God, the remnant who hold on and say, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. I know nothing. Man, to hear that we lad this morning, show him this Bible, that be more good. Rejoice us, my soul. But ah, oh, my friend, what would it not be if God knew? Rejoice. There's nothing more rejoice the heart of God more than a move of the Spirit of God. May God search our hearts this morning. May He in the midst of wrath, remember mercy. And I believe he will. And revive us again. Let us pray. O oh God, our Father. Oh, Lord, we're all unworthy, including this preacher this morning. Lord, we're, Nehemiah said, when they told him about the temple walls and the gates, he says, we have sinned. He wasn't even born, he wasn't even ever in Jerusalem. But he included himself, he says, we have sinned. Lord, we have sinned by neglect, 
We were sinned by our lack of prayer. We have sinned by the lack of our concern and burden. We've let all this happen. We've let it all happen, Lord, under our very nose. Forgive us this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll strike conviction into the heart of these men that burn these children, kill these children. I pray, Lord, that they'll be like the midwives and pharaohs, that they'll be afraid. Lord, you said about the little ones that it would be better that a billstone was cast around their neck. Oh God. Lord, bless those now that go. Those of us who remain. For Christ's sake, amen.